Man, I, uh, I'm so privileged uh, to be here this morning. I'm so thrilled to be able to come and hang out with you guys for a few minutes this morning. I guess it was a little over four years ago that I first heard the name High Rock Community Church. Man, this has um, been a, an interesting journey for me. I first heard about High Rock, and I heard about your strategy and what you're wanting to do about kind of putting campuses all over, be one church in multiple locations. And, and I thought, man, that is like the last thing that North Carolina needs is, is a church that's like putting more churches on every other corner since we have like the market on every corner in North Carolina. But the more and more that I heard about High Rock and I heard specifically about the life change that's taking place here at High Rock and the way that families and marriages and, and, and relationships are being being restored and put back together through the name of Jesus Christ, man, it's been an incredible thing to hear and see and watch the way that God has worked. And so I had the opportunity just a few weeks ago to visit a High Rock campus for the very first time. I went to your Albemarle campus, which is a God thing in and of itself. It just launched just recently. And I want to share with you something that I shared with them as a pastor who has been kind of in ministry doing stuff here in North Carolina for going on a decade now. I want to make sure that you understand this because sometimes we get a little laser focused and we can miss out on exactly the bigger picture and what God's doing. But from an outsider's perspective and from a pastor who's been a part of multi-site and been a part of what's happening here at High Rock, let me just tell you that what God is doing here at High Rock Community Church is not normal. It's not a good thing. It's a God thing. It's a very incredible thing that you get to take part in and be a part of. So I want you to be excited about it. I want you to cheer. I want you to get stoked because what what God is doing in this place and the way he's showing favor to this church is absolutely incredible. And the fact that you get to be a part in it is a very, very cool thing. So I want you inviting your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers to be a part of what's happening here at High Rock because this is something very, very special. I don't know if you guys even realize this, but I'm not sure if anybody's told you this number, but do you guys realize that on Easter of this last year, like just a few weeks ago, on Easter, you guys had well over 3,000 people in attendance at a High Rock campus. 3,000. Yeah, you can applaud that. Absolutely. And here's why that's so special. Here's why that's so special. It's not because it's just a number. It's because over 3,000 people came and heard the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Now he wanted to be their advocate before God. And you, you guys are, are able to play a part in what's happening there. And many people for the very first time this past Easter heard that Jesus wanted to come in and change their life. And you guys are playing a part in seeing that happen. And so it's a thrill for me to be here. I'm super excited. Plus, plus I, am, uh, I live kind of right on the inner loop of Charlotte. And so I spend all all my time brushing shoulders with like Birkenstock wearing, tree hugging, latte sipping, like city hipsters. And it feels very nice to be hanging out with some laid back normal people for a change. You guys are normal people and I like you. And there's a special like, um, I don't know what it is about smaller towns. And I say smaller towns in comparison to like Charlotte, but I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's like this subculture in smaller towns while everybody's cool and everybody's laid back and everybody's kind of chill, there's this group of, um, I guess there's no better term, rednecks that exist in smaller towns. Do we have any rednecks in the house this morning? Anybody willing to admit that? So that's me, I'm a redneck. Somebody in the back yelled, get her done. Um, for, for a long time, now, now you got to know, that's me. I'm right there in your wheelhouse. I'm a redneck. But for a long time, I wasn't really a fan of rednecks. I like thought they were like some kind of second-class citizen or something, or they, they were like different, or, or they were weird or whatever. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, I was taking a group of students um, in, in student ministry to a, a summer camp in Panama City Beach, Florida. 
And, um, and I always think that I'm right just about on everything. And so I had in my brain the impression that I-85 went all the way, like, straight to Panama City Beach, Florida. And, I, okay, for those of you who are geographically challenged, it doesn't, not at all. Um, and so I'm cruising, cruise through Atlanta, going down 85, and my GPS says, hey, get off this exit here. And I say, no, you're wrong. I'm going to keep going straight. And so the GPS at the next exit says, no, seriously, you need to turn around and, like, make a U-turn. You need to get off here. And I was like, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. And so the third exit that we get to, the GPS is finally just like, bro, you are on your own. Have fun. Do, do, what, do whatever it is that you want to do. And I ended up in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. Now, let me just tell you, there's a difference. Like, there's middle of nowhere, North Carolina, and then there's middle of nowhere, Alabama. Dude, rednecks from North Carolina don't even compare. This looked like, a, like everywhere I drove looked like scenes from deliverance. There were people standing around that I'm pretty sure were still convinced that the South was still seceded from the Union. And so I, um, I found myself in the middle of nowhere and I was like, shoot, I've got to stop and get gas. And I am scared out of my mind right now. <laughs> and so I pulled into this really like rough looking gas station. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this or not, but for me, it always seems like I have to get gas at the most inopportune times. Like it's like 12 degrees outside and I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and I got to stop and get gas. Or I find myself in a really shady, messed up part of town and I got to stop and get gas. And whenever I find myself in those situations, I always find that the gas pump decides it wants to play 20 questions with me. Like it used to be, you could just get out and get gas, but now you got to answer all these questions. It's like debit or credit. What is your zip code? What is your pin code? Would you like a receipt? What type of gas would you like? Do you have a buy low bonus card? Uh, what is your mother's maiden name. Would you like a car wash? No, I don't want a car wash. If I had wanted a car wash, I'd have went to Autobell, but I didn't go to Autobell. I came to a gas station. I want to get some gas. And I got so flustered because I was in this town that I didn't want to be in. Uh, town, I'll use that term relatively and loosely. Um, but I, I was trying to fumble my way through getting gas, and I got so flustered I must have punched in the wrong code or punched in the wrong numbers, and I had to go inside the gas station. And so I'm making my way in, inside the gas, and if, dude, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I promise you, I'm telling you, this is absolutely the truth. I'm walking into the gas station, and there are these two old-timers sitting out in front of the gas station. One's leaning up against the uh, ice machine, the other's sitting in like a little lawn chair. And they, um, they are, again, true story, they're hacking away at like the dead carcass of a pig. True story, this is exa- like out in front of the gas station. They're hacking away at a pig, and curiosity got the best of me. I was just, what are you guys doing? And um, to this day, I still don't know what they were doing, but they said, and I quote, we're making critter bait. I don't know what critter bait is. I'm, I have no idea what critter, but they were packaging little pieces of, of, of pig flesh and putting it in a little white containers, marking two ninety nine with a Sharpie and putting them in a cooler. And so I just... Okay, I'm rushed in the gas station, paid for my gas, ran back out, and I noticed on my way back out, I looked over to the left, and I saw attached to this gas station was like this two-bay garage, and above it there was this sign. Again, true story. It said, Larry's Taxidermy and Quick Lube. And I'm thinking, they are stuffing deer and changing tires in the same garage. I rushed as fast as I could back to the van. I shut the door, and then the words fell out of my mouth that I will regret for the rest of my life, and they were these words. I can't stand redneck people. And everybody in the van started laughing. I couldn't figure out what they were doing, why they were laughing at me. And I said, guys, why are you laughing? And they said, it's just funny to hear you say something like, I can't stand redneck people when you are the biggest redneck that we know. And I'm thinking, no, no, I live in Charlotte. I have a faux hawk. I wear skinny jeans. I am not a redneck. They said, you are a poser because you are a redneck. And so I'm like, I'm like all frustrated and flustered and mad about this. They said, we've known you for a long time. And I, I had told them, I had been their student pastor and the, these leaders had known me for a while. And um, I had given them a lot of information over the years that at this moment I was regretting 
And, um, and they said, we'll just ask you three questions real quick. I said, okay, what are, the, what are the questions? Number one, if you had one week to live and you could go to any concert on the planet, what would you go see? Garth Brooks live in Vegas, yep. <laughs> and so I kind of said that under my breath. And it's okay. Question number two, you're a big comedy fan. Who's your favorite comedian? Larry the Cable Guy, yeah. And, and it's so bad because I was weighing it with Jeff Foxworthy, so it didn't really make it any better. And then they said, then they said okay, last question. When you were in high school, you got the chance to go out and purchase your own vehicle, get whatever kind of car that you wanted to get. What was the vehicle that you chose to buy when you turned 16 and went out and bought your own vehicle? A jacked-up F-150 with dual exhaust Flowmasters, and they were like, you are a redneck, sir. And I was like, okay, I finally admit it. I, I guess I, I am a redneck. But here's the truth that I learned that day that's kind of stuck with me ever since then. It's, the, it's a whole lot easier to see the faults in other people than it is to see those same faults in yourself. Is that not true? Do you guys find that to be true? I mean, it can be the exact same thing, but it's a whole lot easier to see it in other people than it is to see it in yourself. And so... When you come to church and you hear we're doing a series called Treatment and you hear that the, the topic of the morning is addiction, I'm sure the majority of you kind of went to the same place my mind went to and that was, man, I wish so-and-so were here. Man, I wish that coworker were here. I wish that relative, I wish uncle blah, blah, blah were here. And we start thinking about all the people we wish were here and we check out. Why? Because it's a whole lot easier to see the faults in other people than it is to see the faults in yourself. And we don't quantify or think of ourselves as addicts, but can I just do something real quick? I want to make sure that everybody in the room is on level playing field, and I'm including myself in this. Here's what you have to know this morning. There's not one person in this room that has not, is not, or will not struggle with some form of addiction. And we don't think so, and we don't believe that, because we like to quantify addiction in terms of like the big four. You know what I'm talking about? Like, People who struggle with drugs and alcohol and gambling and pornography. Those are people who are addicts. I've just, got, I've just got an issue. No, the truth of the matter is we all struggle with addiction. You just may not have identified what your needle is yet. We all have addictions because addictions are simply this. Addictions are simply things that we run to, things that we lean on, things that we're dependent on to find fulfillment and to be happy and to find purpose. No, you may not have a drawer full of needles at your house, but you may have a car, a car with the floorboard slammed full of fish fillet boxes because you can't pass by a fast food restaurant without pulling through the drive-thru and getting something because you can't be happy unless you have a fish fillet sandwich in your hand. I hear women say this all the time. I can't believe that there are men out there that would ruin their family's finances and would go and spend all their family's future uh, retirement on gambling. They gamble it all away. But those same women have five, six, seven credit cards from different stores that are maxed out because every time they have a bad day, they have to run buy a new purse or buy a new dress to make themselves happy. They run to something to find fulfillment, to find happiness, to find peace. I hear guys all the time say, well, I'll tell you what, I just, I'll be real honest with you. I, I don't have no respect for those men that, that ruin the intimacy between their, uh, their wife and themselves by looking at naked pictures of other women on the internet. But yet those same men are ruining the intimacy between them and their spouse because they're never home, because they're addicted to work and addicted to money and addicted to power and addicted to drive. See, here's the thing. We like to categorize the big four and say, that's addiction. But the truth is, all of us struggle with addiction. All of us have things that we wrestle with. All of us have things that we run to and that we lean on. And I want to tell you the dirty, dark secret about addiction this morning. And this is in your celebration folder. You can write this down. There's some blanks for you to fill in. This will be on the screen for you. I want to make sure you hear this. Whatever it is that you run to, 
Whatever it is that you run to, to find fulfillment, to find stress relief, to find peace, to find hope, to find joy, whatever, whatever it is that you run to, runs you. Most of us in the room would believe that about the big four, right? We'd say, well, people who keep running to alcohol to find happiness in life, well, the alcohol runs their life. Well, people who keep running to gambling, I mean, gambling runs their life. But see, the problem is that is true for every addiction, no matter what that addiction may be. Whatever you run to runs you. And here's why. It's because you have to keep going back over and over and over again because your addiction is attempting to fill a void in your heart and in your life that it was never meant to fill. It's like, it would be like me seeing a house fire and going and grabbing a super soaker and trying to put the house fire out. I mean, sure, I may be able to aim on one board and like put the fire out for just a minute, but guess what I'd have to do? I'd have to run back and fill it up again and then come back and shoot some more and then run back and fill it up again and then shoot some more. And ultimately it would never work and I'd never get the house fire put out with a super soaker. Why? Because a super soaker wasn't made to put out house fires. The same is true of yours and my addiction. We run to them over and over and over again, trying to relieve stress, trying to find fulfillment, trying to, to, to be happy. And they work for an hour. They work for an hour or two. But then when we walk away, they leave us feeling empty. And we find ourselves having to run back to get that feeling again. See, we were not created to fill the void with the addictions in our life. We were created to fill a void in our heart and in our life with an intimate relationship with God. Guys, we weren't, we weren't meant to relieve stress by smoking cigarettes. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We were meant and created to relieve stress by casting all of our cares on the one who ultimately cares for us and by allowing him to carry our burdens with us. That's how we were meant to relieve stress. We weren't meant to find pleasure in looking at pictures of naked girls or, or whatever on the internet. No, we were meant to find our pleasure and our joy in the reality of the cross. And the truth of the matter is, is that because of the cross, because of what happened there, we can live the way we were always meant to live. That's where we're supposed to find our pleasure and our joy. That's how we were created, but we continue to fill ourselves up with temporary things, run away from those temporary things and find ourselves crawling back because we have to have those things to be fulfilled. When God the whole time is saying, hey, that's not how I created you. That's not what I wanted to do in and through your life. And ultimately, at the end of the day, addiction is just a symptom of a much bigger disease. And that disease is something that the Bible calls idolatry. And idolatry is just a, a churchy word for placing anything in your life in the position that God is supposed to hold. See, when you're, when you're needing stress relief, you're supposed to run to God, but instead we run to other things, and when we do that, we are placing an idol in the place of God. When, we, when we're looking for happiness and we're having a bad day and we're looking for peace and joy, we're supposed to run to God, but we run to some of these other things. And when we run to these other things, we're placing an idol in the place of God. See, it's just an addiction because you have to keep going back. The root of the problem is not addiction. It's idolatry. It's placing something in your life in the place of God. 
And the Bible speaks pretty clear about idolatry. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, he gives us a very clear word picture of what idolatry looks like in our life. And as you read it, you'll begin to see that it looks a lot like our addictions that we face in our life. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. Isaiah, chapter 44. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got a smartphone or an iPad or something. Maybe you can look it up on there. If not, the words are going to be up on the screen for you. But I invite you to ring along uh, or follow along so that you can take some notes, highlight some things, mark some things, and take it home with you and look at later. But the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, he's talking a little bit about idolatry, and he does it in this really interesting word picture. And it's, it's through the metaphor of a carpenter. And this carpenter is meant to represent you and me and us, and at the time it was meant to represent Jacob and Israel. But this carpenter works with wood. And that's where we pick up in verse, uh, verse 14 of the 44th chapter of Isaiah. It says this, He cuts down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. Now watch this. And he let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. He's getting ready to talk about idols. He's getting ready to talk about idolatry. And just a preview of coming attractions, we're about to see how this carpenter turns this wood into an idol. But for some reason, he doesn't start with turning it into an idol. He starts way, way back, long before that that wood or that tree ever became an idol. He starts back when it was just a seed. And here's the, the truth that you have to realize this morning. Every addiction in your life starts out as a seed. See, I've been in student ministry now for about 10 years, and I'm just telling you that I have parents all the time that, that, that come to me and they say, yeah, our kids, our 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, yeah, they're, they're looking at porn on the internet or they were passing around a magazine, but it's no big deal because I know all 12, 13, 14-year-old boys go through that phase. No, it is a big deal. It's a matter of fact, it's a really, really huge deal, and this is why. Because although that may just be a seed when they're 12, 13, or 14-year-olds, guess what happens to seeds? They grow, and when they grow, they turn into idols, and when they turn into idols, guess what? They wreck families. And I know guys right now that started looking at internet porn when they were 11, 12 years old, and now they're in their 20s and their 30s, and their families are being ripped apart, and their lives are being wrecked because they're addicted to pornography. And they never had any intention of ever being addicted to pornography, and never had any intention of going back and looking at that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, they had a seed in their life that went unchecked, and they let it grow. And I want you to know this morning, whatever your addiction is, If it's left unchecked and you let it grow, it will turn into something destructive in your life. There's nothing wrong with going shopping. There's nothing wrong with going shopping. But what happens is some woman has a bad day. So she says, man, I feel really bad. I want to go to the mall. There's nothing wrong with going to the mall. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not go to the mall. If there were, my wife would have a really hard time. So there's nothing wrong with going to the mall. There's nothing wrong with going shopping when you're having a bad day. But if you find yourself needing to go shopping to make your day better, you know what you're doing? You're letting it grow. And when you let it grow, those things can turn into addictions and idols in your life. And then watch what happens next in the passage. Verse 15, it says, It, being the wood, it is used for fuel, for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Here's what I want you to notice. Nothing that I just said was sinful or wrong. There are things in your life that are just fine. It's not a sin to eat. If it were a sin to eat, we'd all be in trouble. It's okay. There are normal things in your life that are totally fine. But it's when you take those normal things and you become dependent on them and you begin to put them in the place of God, they become a problem. Watch this. It says he kindles a fire and he bakes bread, but he also fashions a God. And worships it. 
He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, I am warm, I see the fire. But from the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships and prays to it and says, and this may sound familiar, save me, you are my god. Now for everybody in the room, we look at that and we say, that is the stupidest thing I have ever seen in my life. He's talking to a piece of wood and he's saying, save me, you are my God. That doesn't make a lick of sense. He's got the God of the universe who literally created the tree and made it grow that he's got available to worship. And instead he looks at the tree and says, save me, you are my God. Here's the truth about addiction that you need to make sure you understand. That when you are addicted to something, you become blind to what looks really stupid that every Everybody else can see. You say, no, 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 it's just an issue. No, 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 it's not a problem. No, 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 it's okay. No, what happens is you have become blind to what that addiction is doing to your life. This is a carpenter. He knows about wood. He knows how wood works. But he's become stupid. He's become blinded. And he begins to look at the wood and say, save me. You are my God. And in terms of addiction in our life, does that not sound very familiar? I mean, how many times in our life do we say, man, I'm having such a bad day, and we run to blank, whatever it is, whatever it is for you. And we don't verbally say it, but mentally in our mind we're saying, save me. Alcoholics, they look at a bottle, and they say, I can't handle this week. I can't handle the stress. I can't handle this life. I can't handle feeling the way that I feel. Save me. You are my God. And to everybody else, it looks stupid. But to the person who's addicted, it seems like the way to go. And remember what I said, everybody in the room has an addiction. What do you run to? What do you run to and say, save me, you are my God. Whatever you run to runs you. And when you hear that in terms of addiction, it sounds like a bad thing, doesn't it? But watch this. We put it in your celebration folder twice. We want you to fill in the blanks twice. Because the second point of today's message is the exact same as the first point of today's message, and it is whatever you run to runs you. But here's what you got to know. That doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Because yes, whenever you run to alcohol, whenever you run to gambling, whenever you run to shopping, whenever you run to overeating, whenever you run to those things, you have to go back over and over again because they never fill you up and you run to them over and over again. And yes, they run you. But whenever you run to the arms of a God who has his arms stretched out ready to wrap you up in his love and you say I want you to relieve my stress I want you to fill my void whenever you run to that God guess what he begins to run you and that's not a bad thing and here's why because that's how you were created to live you were created to live in fellowship and in relationship with God why not let the guy who created you and literally flung the stars into space and with a very word made the entire universe why not let him have some control in your life because I think he might do just a little bit better job than you and lead you in a direction that might be a little bit better for you than you could lead yourself. He might just know a little bit more about you than you know about yourself. And when you run to him and he begins to run you, life begins to make a lot more sense. Things start clicking because you start realizing, hey, I'm living the way that I was created to live. Life is beginning to make more sense. No, life's not always easier and life's not always perfect, but at least now I'm living the way that I was always meant to and created to live. Whatever you run to runs you. 
But it's your choice whether or not that's going to be a really, really scary, negative, bad thing that leaves you feeling empty and void inside. Or whether that's going to be an amazing truth that you hold on to because your God is forever faithful and forever sustaining and is always waiting to wrap you up and fill the void that you've tried to fill with so many other things. See, watch how he wraps this passage up in verse 21 of Isaiah chapter 44. He says this, Remember these things, and he's referencing the story that he just told. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. You're not, you're not the piece of wood servant. You're my servant. I made you. You're my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. When every one of your addictions leaves you hanging high and dry, I won't forget you. I'll be right there. I'm ready with open arms. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. See, here's the difference in running to your addiction and running to God. When you run to your addiction, it leaves you walking away feeling full of shame. When you run to God, it leaves you feeling shameless. When you go to your addiction and you walk away, it leaves you feeling full of guilt. When you run to God, he leaves you feeling guiltless. You know why? Because he wipes away every wrong thing that you've ever done. He doesn't hold anything against you and he wraps you up in a loving relationship and fills your life, fills the empty void with what was always missing and he does it at no expense to you or to me. When these addictions leave us totally expended. So my challenge to you this morning is pretty simple. It's pretty basic. Whatever your addiction is in your life, stop running to it because it'll run you. Instead, allow God to fill the void in your life that you've been trying to fill and allow him to meet the needs that you've been trying to meet over here. Here, I know the kind of the, the age-old question, especially in terms of addiction that everybody has is, well, how do I do that? <laughs> like, I've been struggling over and over. How do I, how do I get past this thing? Well, you've got to be intentional, and you've got to have a plan. See, I've got a very addictive personality, just in general. It doesn't take much to get me addicted to something. And for a long time, I really struggled with looking at things that I never should have been looking at on the internet. And even, even in, in terms of ministry, when I first got into ministry, it was feel, still very difficult for me to not look at things that I shouldn't look at on the internet. And so I would come to church, and I'd say, God, I don't want to do that anymore, and I'd walk out. And I'd, I'd go to Bible study, and I'd say, Man, I, don't, I don't think I need to do that anymore. That's a horrible thing. I shouldn't do that anymore. And I'd kind of make those general statements. But the truth is, intentions don't do anything for you. Having a plan in place and working the plan and following the plan always works. That's why people who are addicted to alcohol have a 12-step program. That's why people who are addicted to drugs go into rehab. It's because it requires a plan to beat addiction. And whatever your addiction is, whether it's drugs or alcohol, or whether it's overeating or shopping or whatever it may be, you need a plan in place to fight and to take on your addiction. For me, it was pretty simple. We, uh, we, we got a Bible that we put right beside our computer in our house. And that Bible doesn't move. It absolutely does not move. If we can't find our Bible in our house, well, too bad. We don't, we're not moving that Bible. That Bible's not coming to church with us. That Bible has dust all around the edges and probably has things growing up underneath it because it does not move from beside the computer in our house. And I made the commitment that every time I was tempted to look at something that I shouldn't look at on the internet, that I was going to go to God's Word and I was going to read what it was that He had to teach me. And so then, here's what happened. 
for me to actually go and look at things on the internet that I shouldn't have looked at, I literally would have had to make the intentional decision to forsake spending time with the very one who stretched out his arms on Calvary and shed his blood to give me the opportunity to experience and to have that time. All to look at a few pictures, well, that changed things in my mind. But I had a plan. There were several parts of the plan. I put an accountability partner in place, which asked me the tough questions that I knew I was going to have to answer truthfully to. I put software on my computer that put guardrails up that kept me out of certain areas in my life. See, I put a plan in place. And your plan may, may not look anything like that. But what you need to do with your addiction, whatever it may be, is put a plan in place that literally directs you like a map into the arms of God so that when you feel a need to run to something, you run to Him instead of that thing. But you've got to have a plan. And you've got to be willing to work the plan. And the plan's got to lead you to the place that you were always meant to be. That's into the arms of a loving father who wants to fill the void that you've been trying to fill with everything else. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today the same way that they walked in here. I want you to walk out of here different. I want you to walk out of here changed. On your, literally, on your, um, in your celebration folder, on your connection card, there's a next step on the back of that, that, back of that connection card. And it says, I am, I'm going to create a plan. I'm going to put a plan in place to help fight and to beat my addiction. My challenge to you is, there shouldn't be a, if we're all, if everybody in this room has an addiction that they have struggled with, is struggling with, or will struggle with, then everybody needs a plan in place to put guardrails up to keep them away from that addiction. There shouldn't be a person in this room that doesn't tear that connection card off, check that box, and say, I'm going to put a plan in place today. I'm not going to sleep tonight until I put a plan in place. So we should have like 300 connection cards when we're done because we should all walk out of here saying, hey, we're not going to walk out of here the same way we came in here. We're not just going to show up at church by accident and do whatever. We're actually going to come to church and become the people that God want to make us. And that's the people who are running to Him rather than allowing our addictions to run us. Pray with me, would you? God, we thank you so, so much for giving us the privilege and the opportunity to run to you. Thank you for your sacrifice, for the gift of your son on the cross. Lord, we ask more than anything else that you burden our hearts and challenge us to put a plan in place that will enable us to run to you rather than to everything else in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.